cleared up in her office, and that was the backdrop. His mind. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. for the shofar, and I thought I would play it anyway. Happy uh, Shabbat to one and all. We're here with uh, with uh, Kirk uh, this evening. Hi, Kirk. How are you? Happy Passover. Good. Good. Happy uh, I Passover. Had, I had a, a lovely Passover. I did find that my wife and I do have Passover incompatibility, however. She likes uh, cumin on her lamb, and I prefer rosemary. But uh, we did survive the Passover incompatibility. And had boy, what a wonderful uh, dinner! My favorite uh, dinner of the uh, of the year, and um, mm-hmm. just every aspect of it is uh, wonderful and, and um, incredibly uh, meaningful. This is an interesting year in that uh, uh, Matzah, Passover and Ramadan, uh, the uh, uh, celebration of idiocy and Islam, uh, and also. Uh, Easter, the pagan holiday of the Babylonians, are all coterminous. Um, today was officially Good Friday, the uh, the day that uh, man killed uh, the Christian God. Uh, that doesn't happen very often that uh, all three are celebrated at the uh, the same time or observed at the same time. I I took great comfort in knowing that uh, Jews around the world were at least in their own pathetic way, um, sharing a, a meal that uh, they referred to as Pesach Passover uh, this evening. I'm saddened uh, that they don't understand what it represents. It is probably the uh, the single most disappointing thing humankind has ever done. Uh, Yahweh placed his nefesh soul into Yosha. 
and with his soul and Yosha, just as we would place a probe on Mars and be able to hear and and touch and uh, see, um, even do analysis of what's there, uh, projecting ourselves onto to Mars. By placing his nephesh soul into Yosha, Yahweh was able to experience every aspect of the fulfillment of Pesach. Um, and he could even feel the pain that was inflicted by the Romans. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to have the, the most despicable civilization, perhaps in the history of the world, Imperial Rome, torture the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, yes, is slated to die, but mercifully never tortured. Um, and that's, uh, that's a tragedy. But there were two far greater tragedies of this day, going back um, 2,000 years ago. One of the great tragedies was that Yisrael, Yahweh's people, the chosen people, Yehudim, rejected the Passover lamb. God told them exactly when he was going to arrive to fulfill Pesach and uh, uh, through Gabriel to the prophet Daniel, the exact day that he was going to walk in as the Passover lamb into Jerusalem, and yet they still missed it. And not only did they miss it, in Judaism, they are incredibly antagonistic towards Yosha and the fulfillment of Passover. So God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He fulfilled the, the promise of Pesach, and then of Matzah sending his soul into Sheol to remove religion and politics from us so that we could be born anew into his covenant family on Bakotam. He did all of these things. Pesach, Matzah, Bakotam, in year 4000, Yah. And apart from those who have come to know Yahweh through the Yada Yahweh series in these programs on Yada Yah Radio, There's not a Jew in the world that acknowledges what God has done, depriving themselves and other Jews of eternal life, of perfection, and of adoption into the covenant family. But beyond the rejection of his own people, the people who tortured him would not only go on to torture his people, they would create a tortured caricature of Yosha, transforming the Pesachael, the Passover lamb, into the Messiah and Son of God, so that now billions of people have been misled, Goyim, so that they do not know that Yosha was his name, not Jesus, that man did not kill him. The body was sacrificed as the Pesach Gael. It had Yahweh's nephesh. The most important day is the day that follows, the day that is completely ignored, the fulfillment of matzah. 
and that there was no bodily resurrection on Bukhodem. There is no such thing as Easter apart from the Babylonian pagan religion. And so the most popular religion in the world perverted everything he did. While Yahweh's own people neglected and rejected everything he did. As I ate the lamb this evening and the matzah with bitter herbs and drank the uh, the wine with my wife, I was constantly haunted by how tragic this is for Yahweh to have done so much only to have virtually everyone either ignore, reject, or corrupt his sacrifice. There is news also out of um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Uh, the most despicable people on earth today are not actually Ukrainians. They're not actually Russians. They're not actually progressives. They're not actually Roman Catholics. Now, the most disgusting people alive today are Muslim youths. This article, written by a progressive, uh, says that uh, the flashpoint was uh, the Temple Mount, which uh, this moron of a reporter says is deeply important to Muslims and to Jews. Wrong and wrong. It's not deeply important to Muslims. It's a tragic embarrassment to Muslims. And it doesn't take much to figure that out. Muhammad, likely in Petra, but uh, what is now called Mecca, uh, while he was in bed with a six-year-old child engaged in pedophilia, after the satanic verses where he not only spoke on behalf of, of Satan, but acknowledged that he spoke on behalf of Satan, needed a, a flight of fancy. He needed a, an escape. And so his imagination was that in the middle of the night, he took a wild barak, which is about as real as a unicorn, a winged ass, and he flew from, uh, well, at the time, it would have been Petra, which is uh, south of Jerusalem and what is today Jordan, uh, up to Jerusalem. And there he uh, held meetings in the temple, which had been destroyed, um, what, 600 years earlier. And... From there, he uh, and his wild ass leapt from the Temple Mount in his imagination, and the first stop on the way to Allah's decadent paradise was hell. And there in hell, he reports that the inhabitants were mostly women who were hung by their breasts by meat hooks. And they were there because they didn't appreciate the treatment of their husbands who were abusing them. 
And from there, he has a meeting with all of the Jewish big shots, starting with Adam and then Noah, going up through the list, turning them all into Muslims, where he finally meets with uh, Allah. And uh, Allah says, what I want is I want you to moon me 50 times a day. And Muhammad said, no, that's, that's way too arduous. The people will never endure prostrating themselves to you 50 times a day. And he negotiated it down to five. Yep. That's the story of the Muslim importance of the Temple Mount. It is nothing but a complete embarrassment. Absolute proof that Muhammad was a liar. Quran is untrue. But yet, people are easily fooled by religion and politics. They will kill for no reason at all. They will abuse their fellow man, thinking that they're doing a service to their God, to their country. And so Muslim youths are throwing rocks and cursing Jews and defending the Quran's affinity for the Temple Mount, which, by the way, it never even mentions. And what stories exist of the trip to Jerusalem are nothing but an embarrassment. But yet, this uh, reporter, of course, isn't bright enough to figure that out. It's from the BBC. As it relates to Jews, the Temple Mount is not important either. Everything that Yahweh said there, they have swept away. In essence, rabbinic Judaism uh, emerging after the Romans destroyed the temple exists to not only replace Yahweh and to replace his preference for using the Loi as Cohen priests to inform and mediate on behalf of his people. The rabbis replaced both with themselves and they also had a problem in that many of the things in the Torah could no longer be done without having a, well, it's actually not a temple, it's the home of the covenant, the Beth. And so they just wrote it out. They said these, these things can't be done and therefore we need a bunch of rules we can adhere to and enforce. They just wrote it out. There, I don't think there are any Herodim, ultra-Orthodox Jews, which is the only accepted form of the religion amongst the Jews today, particularly in Israel, that have any affinity for the Temple Mount. No, they, they want to control the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, so they can do their God-forsaken religious prayers, and they can keep women and, and non-ultra-Orthodox Jews away. It, you can't even go there if you're a Reformed Jew or conservative Jew or just Orthodox Jew. It's only for the ultra-Orthodox and only for the men and only to bob their heads up and down in their black mourning clothes. It is an exceedingly sad situation, but they don't want anything more. They would actually prefer not to have a home of the covenant because they have no way of explaining it. It doesn't fit 
their religion. And let's be clear. The Dome of the Rock and Alaska Mosque are nothing but trophies. The Muslims, because of Muhammad being an anti-Semite, um, despised Jews. They murdered and enslaved, raped, robbed every Jew within camel ride of uh, Petra, Mecca, Medina, on uh, Muhammad's orders. And so, with their distinct hatred of Jews, the first thing that Muslims did after conquering Arabia and making sure that there would be no resistance to Islam, compelling every Arab to either accept surrender to Islam or die, they pushed out what became the bloodiest conquest in world history. A third of the world's population was killed by Muslims in the first hundred years of the religion. They call them the glory years, the golden years of Islam, where they wiped out a third of the world's population. And on the way to do that, they went through Jerusalem and uh, constructed these trophies to show that Allah u Akbar, Allah was greater than Yahweh. But I have news for you. Allah is a piece of scum, trash. Um, he is modeled after Satan. Other than uh, the satanic influence, there is no Allah. And everything said about him in the Quran is reprehensible. These things known, I'd, I'd like to just cover one other quick item in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a uh, was a shooting over this past week. Ten people injured with the gunfire by a uh, a racist. His name was Frank James. I've heard of uh, listened to Frank James rants. He uh, he proclaimed a black Jesus. He said whiteies must die. He went into the subway with the express intent of killing as many white people as possible. And yet I don't hear the outrage. Most people don't even know it happened. They don't know that he was a black man and a racist, that his Facebook accounts were filled with videos of him ranting against whites and threatening to kill them, and yet Zuckerberg and his... uh, his social media empire were content no. to allow him to uh, to post those things. But when we told the truth about Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, we were banned. It is a sick and disgusting world out there. And this is just one of many examples. This is the... Uh, the statement and how Yahweh introduces Pesach. And with those things said, I'd I'd like to share it with you. It reads as follows. And Yahweh, Wa Yahweh. Conjunction basically tells us we're starting a new sentence. So the first word in the sentence is Yahweh. It's not Jesus. Sure as hell is not Allah. It is not God. It is not the Lord. It is... Not Hashem, it's Yahweh. Yod, Hey, Wah, Hey, Yahweh. 
Yahweh spoke the bar. These words to Moshe in order to promise and say, under the auspices of free will, convey the word, Debar, of God on behalf of the children of Yisrael, from Yish, Sarah, El, individuals who engage and endure with God, and say to them, the Mohedim, which are the eternal witnesses of the important of the appointed meeting times, the Moedim, the scheduled appointments to gather together and meet, these specific festival feasts at designated times and places, which focus on the appearance, the celebration, and are based on the agreement of there is that name again, mm-hmm. the name of names. Of Yahweh. Asher are to show the way to the benefits of the relationship. You are continually and genuinely invited to attend. Kara, you are being summoned and welcomed to meet, called out to read and recite, and designated to make known and to proclaim them as set apart, Kodesh separating and dedicating, preparing and purifying, unique and uncommon. Mikre, invitations to be called out and meet. Mikre is based upon Kara and my to ponder the who, the what, the where, the why, the when, and how of being invited and summoned to be called out. These are my Moedim, eternal witnesses to the appointed meeting times. Kara called out Leviticus 23, 1 and 2. The voice speaking that message is none less than the creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. The resource into which these words were ascribed is nothing less than the Torah. And yet, I don't think there's even one in a million people who are willing to embrace what God just said or go where these words lead. These are Yahweh's words. He conveyed them to, well, easily one of the three most extraordinary men who ever lived, Moshe. The only individuals who could be considered in his uh, ilk would be Dode and Yosha, the Zeroah. And under the auspices of free will, God said, speak this word to the children of Israel, not to the Goyim, not to a church. Not to the comrades of communism. Not to the patriots. To the children of Israel. That was and continues to be God's focus. 
He calls these seven annual meetings by two titles, and he shared both of these titles in his declaration. Mm-hmm. Moedim is based on Ed, a compound of Ma and Ed. Ed means eternal witness, restoring testimony. Mo means to ponder the who, what, where, why, and when of these things. Moed, and in the plural, Moedim. They are of Yahweh. Well, the fact that they're of Yahweh means that they are not Talmudic. They're not uh, Christian. They're not Jewish holidays. They're Yahweh's restoring meetings, his eternal witness. It means also that these days are not just mikra invitations to be called out and meet with Yahweh. They are, in essence, the testimony of God. They're God's restoring witness to us, which in God's parlance is the equivalent to an invitation to be called out of this world and meet with him. And they are Asher. They show the way to receive the benefits of the relationship. Just in case you didn't understand that Mikra was from my and Kara, the, again, the who, what, why, where, why, and when of an invitation to meet with God, God introduces Mikra with the verb Kara. To be summoned, to be welcomed, to meet, to greet, to read, and recite. Even to proclaim. He calls these seven dates Kodesh. To be called Kodesh means that they are uncommon. Well, what is the most common institution in the world today? Religion, without doubt. Yeah, religion, overwhelmingly. The second most popular institution in the world today? Yeah, probably politics. Yeah. Politics, yeah. Uh, third today is probably conspiracy. Fourth was probably uh, patriotism. So mm-hmm. by calling the Moed Mikre Kodesh, they can have nothing to do with, in fact, they are the opposite of those things which oh, are popular yeah. and prevalent. So... Mm-hmm. The Moed Mikre are anti-religious. They're everything but political. They are things that, that are unique and separating, distinct, uncommon. It's a powerful concept. Uh, by calling them Kodesh, these meetings set us apart from human religion and politics and set us apart unto Yahweh. He then reinforces that they are Mikre, invitations to be called out and meet with no less than the creator of the universe. Then reinforces that these invitations to be called out and meet are eternal witnesses to the restoring testimony. Well, that's a, <laughs> a pretty extraordinary beginning, isn't it, Kirk? Yes, and it's not even uh, debatable. 
truly. I mean, if you looked them all up, you wouldn't, you couldn't debate that. Yeah. And, you know, so we're, we're here tonight, depending on when the sun sets in uh, your part of the world, um, long ago and uh, Jerusalem, uh, um, about uh, less than an hour ago here in uh, the Caribbean, probably two hours from now on the leftist coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, PSOC, uh, and PSOC is the doorway to life. It's where God says, I'm going to use this as a way of separating you from the Egyptians. Their firstborn are going to die, yours will live. It is about living with God, about becoming immortal. Now, being immortal is a wonderful thing to a point. I tell you what, I would not want to be immortal with a decaying body, and I most certainly don't want to be immortal stained with the stigma of religion and politics and the separated unto you in Sheol for mm-hmm. all time. It is Chag Matzah, and as we have said on many occasions, religious Jews no longer celebrate Matzah. They uh, simply refer not to matzah, but of the removal of yeast. So it's a non-existent ingredient that is uh, all matzah has been relegated to. And yet without matzah, Pesach is counterproductive. Very few things. Uh, Kirk, are as important as mm-hmm. what we have just read, as God has outlined by introducing the presentation of these seven days. Now, these seven days are more than just the path to God, the path to be adopted, the path to the relationship, the path to heaven. Uh, they also define time, where God fulfilled the first four Boed Mikre, Pesach, Matzah, Bakudam, and Shabuah, in year 4,000 Yah, obviously a Yobel year, in Jerusalem. That would have been 33 CE. And in year 6,000 Yah, he's going to fulfill the final two. Kapuram and Sukkah, 2033. We are currently in the midst of fulfilling Teruah. That is what this program and these books are devoted to accomplishing. So while God will acknowledge that non-Yisraelites, like uh, both of us, may attend the Mikra under certain circumstances, this is only permitted when Goyim follow the example set by the Israelites that actually listen to Yahweh and walk away from hostile government, walk away from religious influences, walk away from culture. That's got to be exactly what Abraham did when he walked away Mm -hmm. from Babylon. And to celebrate these Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim, you must align uh, your interest with God's people. 
um, we were listening to Jewish music as we were uh, eating Passover this evening. And it was uh, um, very stressful for my wife because she has been so abused by um, those who have sung these lyrics. And she constantly wanted to turn it off because it was haunting to her. And and yet it reminded me, of course, these are the people that we're serving. You know, we, we work for the chosen people on behalf of Yahweh. Uh, and so it, it is it's difficult knowing that, that on a day like today, um, the bring, rabbis bring have absolutely destroyed the uh, merits, benefits, and sacrifice of Pesach. Um, perverted it, corrupted it, twisted it, so that it no longer has any benefit. And of course, they don't even celebrate matzah. These uh, requirements that we at least align our interest with Yahweh's interest eliminate uh, almost all of the 2.4 billion Christians from participating, all of the 1.9 billion Muslims, the 1.2 billion Hindus, the 0.5 billion Buddhists, along with the 800,000, yeah, 800 million who celebrate uh, ethnic and cultural religions. That's about 6.8 billion of the 8 billion alive on the planet today. The path from Mm -hmm. man's religious and political realms to Yahweh's home is therefore both uncluttered and uncrowded. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's just a head Wow. Wow. It is um, Kodesh. Uncommon. Yes, very much. Also eliminated from any possibility of uh, salvation are the 20% of of the non-religious because they are anti-Semitic, particularly the progressives. This is in addition to the 70% who are political, including the conspiratorial right, as well as liberals who prefer larger governments, socialists and communists among the 1.2 billion agnostics and atheists in the world. Even the 1.3 million ultra-Orthodox already Jews, completely and totally inadmissible and unforgivable. The profane remain exceedingly common. Should you expect that there's going to be, well, I guess the best results that we can possibly hope for, that of the 6.8 billion religious and 1.2 billion uh, secular uh, secularists, uh, that we would get a reasonable number to issue their faith, their politics, their cultures, their conspiracies, well, Personally, I think it would be Pollyannish to expect more than 1% of Goyim to do so. And then we have some, what, 15 million Jews. Um, The 30% that are very religious are excluded. The 
30% who are liberal and political are excluded. Mm-hmm. And of the remaining group, um, most uh, are just not going to listen. Now, should it have not been obvious, Yawa introduced his mikra with the verb, uh, which is uh, um, the very essence of the title, Kara. Uh, mm-hmm. God's summons was offered to welcome his children home, to meet with them, calling them out of man's political and religious rubbish to read and recite his Torah and prophets to proclaim the very word of God. In the midst of this uh, presentation of Yahweh's Moed Mikre, we find, well, uh, one of my favorite Hebrew words, Asher. And it reveals the purpose of the Moed, which is to show the way to the benefits of the relationship. And God was clear. Mekre are Kodesh. They're set apart. Which means that they are the antithesis of religious, patriotic, and political. And Yahweh spoke these words to Moshe in order to promise and say, under the auspices of free will, convey the word of God on behalf of the children of Israel and say to them, the Moedim appointed meeting times, the restoring witnesses and eternal testimony of Yahweh is to show the way to the benefits of the relationship. You are continually and genuinely invited to attend them as set apart Mikre, invitations to be called out and meet, to read and recite. These are my Moedim, appointed meeting times. Yeah, pretty extraordinary. It's uh, hard to quibble with uh, God's introduction. No. No mention there of a religion. No. No, uh, No room for a political agenda. Just straightforward. I've yeah, communicated. The yeah. Yeah, I've invited you. I've offered the testimony. Its purpose is to restore. It shows you the way home. Uh, you are invited. They are mine. My name is Yahweh. God goes on to say, for six days, she shall act engaging in the service of the spiritual messenger, Malaka, delivering the message and doing the work of the maternal aspect of God's mission. From Malak, spiritual implement, heavenly messenger, and divine representative, suffixed with the ah to make this work her work on behalf of of Yahweh's feminine attributes. And then on the seventh day, there shall be a Shabbat observance, a Shabbaton, to consider everything associated with the promise and purpose of the set-apart nature, Kodesh, of the invitation to be called out and meet. The maternal, spiritual messenger works doing everything such that you do not have to do anything. It is a Shabbat observance to approach Yahweh 
to live and abide throughout time. Kara called out Leviticus 23.3. God's reinforcing the same theme. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, telling us that the plan that he has laid out for us is based on 6 plus 1. You know, if we go back in time, you know, the, the Torah's genealogies and the stories that are presented therein tell us that it was, what, just a shade over 11 years, um, minus 6,000 years ago, 3968 BCE, that Adam and Shawa were exiled from the Garden of Eden, and it is uh, here now in the the early spring, celebrating Pesach and, uh, uh, in 2022 on the Gregorian calendar, just 11 years shy. I guess we're now in, in year 5,989. We're just 11 years from uh, the 6,000th year observance of uh, an anniversary of that day when Adam and Chawa were exiled from the, the garden and we are invited back in. And to be invited back in, God laid out this plan, which he, in year uh, 2000, yeah, um, 1968 BCE with Abraham and Yishak, provided the Passover lamb, a dress rehearsal on Mount Moriah for what he would do in year 4,000, yeah, 33 CE, confirming the covenant, the Bereth, the means to be part of Yahweh's family, so that we could return to the conditions experienced at Eden. And then enabling those promises in year 33 CE, year 4,000, yeah, God fulfilled each of the first four, Moed, Mikre, beginning with Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, and Shavuah. It's all a plan of six plus one equals seven, because after Shavuah, we will celebrate a thousand years of thousand years, yes. yeah, living with Yahweh here on earth, as it is restored to the conditions experienced in Gan Eden. So That's six correct. days... That's how much time that we have to engage with the set-apart spirit. Six days. That seventh day, you have either done so or you will not have the opportunity. There are six steps to God with the final uh, being his home. Sukkah, camping out with him. Malaka is a uh, a misunderstood term. Uh, Kirk, I'm sure you've looked up Malaka. Um, There's only one Hebrew word that's remotely akin to Malaka. It's Malak, and it's used throughout the Torah and Prophets, and Malak is clearly Yahweh's spiritual implement. Of course. Yeah, Yeah. they are. uh, We mentioned uh, Gabriel uh, speaking to Daniel. Uh, Gabriel was a Malak. They are spiritual messengers. They're heavenly envoys. And in Hebrew, when you add the ah, the hey at the end of a word, you haven't changed its meaning. You've just made it feminine. Malak is a masculine noun. 
Malaka is a feminine noun. So as a feminine version of a Malak, there is only one sensible definition of Malaka. Yeah, feminine messenger, a maternal, uh, heavenly envoy. And there's only one of those in God's parlance, the Ruach Kodesh. Ruach is a feminine noun. When Yahweh speaks of his spirit, it's always her, she. The set-apart spirit is God's maternal influence. When God says male and female, he uh, created them in his image. He created them. So Yahweh has a paternal and maternal nature and the Malaka represents Yahweh's uh, maternal aspects. Um, I mean, I've I've been doing this for 20 years, Kirk, uh, and I'm I'm pretty good mm-hmm. at chasing down uh, the roots of words and the basis of words. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I've I've never said anything other than, in fact, all the uh, the lexicons agree. Malaka is yes. based upon Malak, and Malak is Yahweh's. Uh, spiritual messengers and envoys. Yep. Yeah, were you able to find anything else? Uh, just the work of. I mean, you know, she's always doing something. She's, not, she's always moving to get us back home. So other than that, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the purpose. word itself yeah. is uh, is delightful with the uh, the Mem, which is the waves on the water, it is the symbol of the spirit. Uh, the spirit oh, of I'm God is, is yes, life-giving, and uh, it's uh, 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 the water being the source of, uh, of life, and water is the universal uh, solvent or cleansing uh, agent. And so um, I, it starts with the M. It has a Lamed in the middle. What is the Lamed? It's a shepherd. It's a the staff of a shepherd, which uh, guides the sheep, leads the sheep, protects the sheep, rescues the sheep, uh, enables the shepherd to walk with the sheep. You know, what a, a marvelous uh, concept with the LF, which represents the, <laughs> the uh, lamb of, uh, of God. It's... No matter how you look at these words, they are, uh, they're just so incredibly rich. The Kalef uh, is, a, uh, is a, an, an open hand. Yeah, the uh, is welcoming. Yeah. yeah, a welcoming hand. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the uh, hey is a person standing up, reaching up to God. Hmm. A lot of message in that uh, word. And... Then, on the seventh day, there will be a Shabbat observance, uh, right from the beginning. The creation account was six days of activity, followed by a day of celebration. It's not that God took a nap. He wasn't tired. He celebrated what he had achieved. And that's what the, the Shabbat is a day of celebration. It's not a day of doing nothing. Celebrate the relationship. Celebrate the message of the Torah, celebrate the benefit of the Mikre, of the Moed, of the Be'eth, the covenant. So there will be a Shabbat observance, a, uh, you know, after we have 
live these 6,000 years in exile from the garden, we're returned to it on the seventh day. There will be a Shabbat observance. So this is Shabbat-i-ha-yom, Shabbat. And then the next word is Shabbaton. Well, you've got seventh day, Shabbat, and Shabbat on. The own suffix to a word like Shabbat tells us that everything that we could possibly attribute to the meaning and purpose of the Shabbat applies. It is, uh, it is all things pertaining to. And, and practicality, a Shabbaton is a day to observe uh, and celebrate the relationship with God as if it were the Shabbat, the seventh day, but regardless of what day of the week it actually applies or falls. You know, mm-hmm. For example, when Yahweh fulfilled Pesach, Matzah, and Bakudah, um the Pesach uh, fell on a, the, the dinner fell on a Thursday evening. It was Pesach uh, mm-hmm. on the the uh, Shabbat and uh, and then Matzah uh, began with the uh, the Shabbat. Uh, in fact, that's the reason why after Yosha uh, uh, was uh, crucified by the Romans, they wanted to get his uh, his body. Uh, body off that, yeah, off that mm-hmm. daggone pole, so that they didn't have any more work and they could go and celebrate uh, the Shabbat. And it wasn't just a Shabbat; it was the Shabbat of Matzah. It was a Shabbaton and a Shabbat that coincided with each other. Rather extraordinary um, uh, set of timing for that year. And it is a time to consider and celebrate everything associated with the promise and purpose of seven. God reinforces it. It is set apart. It is a mikra, an invitation to be called out and meet with God. And then Malak again, the maternal and spiritual messenger works. Kol la asha, doing everything. Such that you don't have to do anything. <laughs> no. So that's my wife. But she you can delight her a lovely, you uh, a lovely dinner. Yeah. But that's yeah. God's idea is, I did what was required for you. I've done it all. Now, just come to me, trust me, and enjoy the relationship. Yeah. He reinforces it again. It's a Shabbat occurrence. Its purpose is law, to approach Yahweh. Not the rabbis, not the synagogue, not a church, sure as hell not a mosque, not Allah, not Hashem, not Jesus. It is a Shabbat occurrence to approach Yahweh. And this is really important. To live and abide throughout time. Bakol Moshab Atem, for your entire household, in every dwelling place, for every period, 
and for each resident at every location and situation. It's from Ma to contemplate and Yashab living and abiding. So it's a Shabbat observance to approach Yahweh to live and abide throughout time. And it is this combination of the two, it's Chag Matzah, Pesach and Matzah, that enables you not only to abide throughout time, but to do so with the aforementioned Yahweh. A uh, beautiful presentation. For six days, uh, six is shesh, bleaching white and dressing in the linen, whitewashing the darkness of mankind, she shall act, continually engaging in this service of the spiritual messenger delivering the message and doing the work of the maternal aspect of God's nature. And then on the seventh day, the time of the promise, there will be a Shabbat observance, a seventh and final day to settle down with God, a Shabbaton, to consider everything associated with the promise and purpose of the set-apart nature and separating and special aspects, Kodesh, of the invitation to be called out and meet this welcoming summons to read and recite, to call out and pronounce the name and to proclaim the purpose of the relationship. The maternal, spiritual messenger and heavenly representative works doing everything so that you do not have to do anything. It is a Shabbat occurrence, the seventh day, to approach Yahweh and live and abide throughout time. Well, I think God's done a pretty fair job of explaining the purpose of, uh, of Pesach, Matzah, and Bakorim, leading to Shabua, where we're empowered and enriched, enlightened, to Ruah, where we do as we're doing now, sharing the word of God, um, hoping that his people begin to listen, so that there will be a meaningful and large and jubilant turnout for Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliations, leading to Sukkah, where we camp out with God for all time. I have to tell you something. I, I read mm-hmm. an email, a very old email, and the gentleman said to me, and this must have been years ago, and he said, um, you know, I read what you write, and it's almost embarrassing because it's so obvious. Now, this is someone with open mind, obviously. And, and so it's almost embarrassing, he said, because you, when I read it, it's, it's laid right out there before you. And it's like, well, why can I figure that out? That was, of course, that's what that means. <laughs> and yeah. I, this whole section, this, I've read this section a couple of times in the last uh, week. And it's like, uh, yeah. oh, of course. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, and, yeah, and what it's... a beautiful presentation of Peace Talk. Yeah. And, of course, what's so amazing about the whole thing is that uh, – what he's basically saying is any idiot should have been able to figure this out. Mm-hmm. All right. It occurs to me. So you better, not, you, know, you better not gloat that you figured it out. But, so, all right, we figured it out. We're the first in, you know, 3,000 years. 
to figure it out and to lay it all out. And but it, and, and that's by itself sounds like a big deal until you realize that he's right. Any idiot should have been able to figure this out. <laughs> but they didn't. But they didn't. Uh, no. And so this idiot figured it out. But uh, it, it, I guess that's why I was so melancholy uh, today, yeah. is that why is it that God had to resort to a dum-dum goyim? Uh, to convey this to his people. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I know. How, I know. how could there be 15 million Where's Jews the brain and brain not brain? one of you figured it out? How is Where's that even possible? Brain Why could you go 3,000 years and other than a handful of prophets, no one figure it out? God's not confused, and he's a, he's a brilliant communicator. He told you exactly what this is all about, and yet you can't figure it out. It's simple. I is right. It's embarrassing, as a matter of fact. God's testimony continues. Remember. Remember, it's from Zakar. Actually recall, bring to mind, genuinely reflect upon, recognize, mention, remind, and proclaim. Earnestly and intensely be mindful that the Shabbat, et ha Shabbat, that this, the seventh day, the period of reflection at the end of the week, reminiscent of the promise of settling death so that we can settle down by observing the oath of association from Shabbat, fulfilling and satisfying the promise of seven to abundantly empower and enrich is a comprehensive definition of Shabbat. Day, time, is set apart to approach him, Kadesh. Six days, you were actually and continually given the opportunity to work and Choose to act and engage in all of your service with the spiritual messenger, Malaka Atta. But the seventh day, the Shabbat, is to approach Yahweh, your God. You should not continuously engage in any part of the work of the maternal representative and spiritual messenger, Malaka, yourself, your son, your daughter, your male or female servants and staff, your means of production, as well as those visitors who relationally are within your home or on your property. For indeed, in six days, Yahweh acted and engaged, preparing and producing everything associated with and completing the heavens and the earth and the waters, and all that which is relationally in them. Then he became completely settled spiritually, Nuak. He was satisfied after settling all unresolved issues by way of the spirit. Nuak is related to Ruach during the Almighty's seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed and adored Barak. He knelt down, offering a greeting 
along with an opportunity to meet everything associated with this day, the Shabbat. Setting it apart, Kodesh. This is uh, Exodus uh, 20, 11, uh, followed by actually begins with uh, Exodus uh, 20, uh, yeah, 8, 9, 10, and 11, yeah, all the way uh, through. Um, it is a dissertation on time. It's a dissertation on God's uh, message to us. He wants us to remember the importance of the Shabbat. You know, in uh, Judaism, the Shabbat, as we know, is a, a day of uh, doing do nothing, nothing in every possible mm-hmm. way. And all of the ways to do nothing have nothing to do with God. They have all to do with rabbinical control over people's lives. And it uh, would be rather foolish of God to say, remember to do nothing. I don't want you, the, the, this day that is the special day is a day to be so um, useless that you spend this day worried about all the things you cannot do. I want you to count your steps because whoop, one too many steps and you'll be stepping out of line. Yep. Uh, you better not uh, take a bus ride. You better not uh, turn on a light switch. You better not uh, light your stove. It's, it's a day to be tied up in your underwear just... doing nothing, according to mm. rabbinic Judaism. Of course, in Christianity, they simply replaced it. They, we're not going to have anything to do with those dastardly Jews. So we'll, uh, we'll make our day the, uh, uh, the first day of the week. That'll be Sunday, because Sunday is the day to honor the sun gods, after all. And... The last of the three uh, uh, Abrahamic, so-called Abrahamic religion, Islam. So all those other religions have a Saturday and uh, Sunday. So our special day will be Friday. Well, that was really uh, ingenious. But yet we're confirming the Torah even though we're rejecting it. That's in remember. I, I told you all about this, what it represents. Remember that the Shabbat is to approach me. It's not a day to do nothing. It's a day to approach God. Six days. Speaking of 6,000 years, you can do whatever you want to do. Six days a week, do whatever you want to do. The seventh day is a day to act. For us to be with him. Yeah. Yes. Upon the relationship. Do For the six days... Anything you can do on behalf of the spiritual message that Yahweh's conveying, have at it. Go, go and do it. The seventh day, enjoy your relationship with God. It's a Shabbat. And the Shabbat exists not to walk away from God, not to be paralyzed. Um, God's a liberator. What's the first statement that he scribed in, in, in stone? I liberated you from yeah. slavery, from oppression yeah. in Mitzrayim. That's, that's God's intent. He is a liberator. He is not an enslaver. In Judaism, the Shabbat observance is enslaving. It's restricting. It's not God's nature at all. 
And he says, but, you know, beyond that, you should not continually engage in any part of the work of the maternal representative and spiritual messenger, yourself, your son, your daughter. It goes on. Why? Because we can't do it. Not our job. Uh, even the to enable the uh, village idiot, the Goyim, to understand Pesach, Matzah, Bakotim, Shavuot, to understand the Torah, to figure out the proper pronunciation of Yahweh's name to be able to translate his words in a way that resonate with his people today. For that guy to be able to do it, God uh, empowered the seven most important aspects of his Ruach spirit. He said so in Yeshaya when describing the, the Choder. She is essential to our success. Dode, the most magnificent person to ever live, the person most... Um, like Yahweh on earth, the person who wrote more about Yah than anybody else, the person who did a better job of leading and defending God's people than anyone else, he was able to do that because at eight years old, when Yahweh chose him and anointed him as the Messiah, the spirit of Yahweh came upon him in abundance and never left him. That is why he was able. The Choder is able to do these things because the Spirit facilitates it. We can't do what the Spirit does, and without the Spirit, we're incapacitated, at least as it comes to correctly conveying the Word of God. And you might say, okay, so that, that emailer said, any idiot should have been able to figure this out. He was self in all fairness, he was being self-deprecating. You know, he said, uh, yes, he was. But, 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 but it's true. Yes, he was being self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah, but it's deprecating. Yeah. It's true. And so you would have to say, so since that's true, that anybody should have been able to figure this out. It's all been available to us. We all should have been able to figure it out. And yet, for 3,000 years, nobody did. The answer, of course, yeah. is why. Or the question, of course, is why. And the answer is that nobody availed themselves of the Spirit. And, and that, that just because it is clear does not mean that people can figure it out because the whole concept of religion and politics and the like of man's Destroys your thinking, view of yeah, things yeah, is there mm-hmm. to hide and corrupt and pervert God's testimony. So most people, even when they're looking at it, can't see it. It's why when a Christian reads the so-called Old Testament, what they would call an Old Testament, because they can't call it anything else otherwise, why would they be replaced <laughs> by their New Testament? So they can't call it Torah as in teaching. They can't even call it prophets because, well, God predicts something that's very different from what they believe in. Uh, and so... What they see is that there is no reference whatsoever to Jesus. There's not even a reference to Yosha. There's not a single prophecy that calls out uh, this person by name. And he's supposed to be, you know, the basis of their religion and the essence of God's plan. And he's not even mentioned. I mean, there are tens of thousands of prophecies and not a single one mentions his name. Or not a single one speaks of the creation of a church or a new religion. Not a single one addresses a New Testament. Not one. And so what do they do? 
they'll read a prophecy pertaining to Doe David and say, oh, well, that, that, that's uh, really was, uh, God's had a senior yeah. moment. He doesn't know the, uh, the names. And, and so that we're just going to read Doe as Jesus because, well, that's the best we can do because our religion has become so ingrained in our lives, we couldn't see the truth if we're reading it. And so to be removed from that, to have a perspective, to be able to, to pursue the obvious, there's a lot of work still that the spirit has to do. Mm-hmm. If, if we're talking to someone in Israel and we say, God's name is Yahweh. If you do not know and use his name, you do not know him and he does not know you. There really is a Sheol hell. And those who mislead, like the rabbis, are headed there. There are seven Moed Mikre. And Matzah is the Mm -hmm. central aspect of Pesach. And it is to espunge religion and politics from our souls so that we are prepared to enter God's company after celebrating Pesach and becoming immortal so that we, Bakurim, can become firstborn children in God's family. And he explained the purpose of Shabuah and Teruah. They don't even celebrate. And of course, then they corrupt Kapurim to make it the opposite of what it is. Rather than a day to reconcile the relationship, it's a day to afflict and abase oneself. So, for a Jew to get past all of that, to walk away from all of that, to reject all of that, to say, my people are wrong, dead wrong. Everything they're saying about the Torah is a lie. Everything they're saying about God is a lie. Everything they're saying about the high holy days is a lie. None of it's true. To have the courage to reject it is rare because to criticize Judaism is to be labeled anti-Semitic when in fact it's the antithesis of that. Mm -hmm. To be anti-Semitic is against the name. I celebrate the name Yahweh and I celebrate the name of Yahweh in the name of his people, Yehudim beloved of Yah. But you have to be opposed to Judaism to engage in a relationship with God, to understand his Torah. And there's the reason it is so rare that somebody does that which is so simple is because the man's religious and political ways have been so effective at corrupting and perverting God's message. Mm-hmm. For indeed, Yahweh, yeah, well, he acted, he engaged, preparing and producing everything associated with completing the heavens and the earth and the waters, which is and everything that's relationally in them. And then he became completely and spiritually settled during the almighty seventh day. It is the same thing with the, the fulfillment of the Mikra. Yahweh, yeah, well, Fulfilled Pesach, giving Mm -hmm. us life. He fulfilled Matzah, 
making us perfect. He fulfilled Bukhara, allowing us to be reborn spiritually. He fulfilled Shabuah, so that we would be enriched and empowered. And today he is fulfilling Teruah with this message. So that in year 6000 Yah, upon his return with Daud, he will celebrate the Day of Reconciliations. And five days later, we all return to the Gan Eden. This all settles spiritually. Therefore, Yahweh, blessed and adored, Barak, knelt down in love regarding everything associated with the Shabbat, the seventh day, making it Kodesh, setting it apart. It's amazing that God has an entire presentation of the Moed Mikre that is integrated within his presentation of the Shabbat. Mm -hmm. The Moed Mikre and the Shabbat are are integrated, just as Pesach and Matzah and Makotam are integrated. Mm -hmm. You can't have one without the other. the, The whole concept of a Shabbat, defining time, defining the week, defining God's plan, defining his approach, the fact that we are in a six-dimensional universe and God is in the seventh, calling us home into that seventh dimension. These godly, Elah, Moedim, eternal witnesses to the appointed meeting times which provide restoring testimony, of Yahweh are set apart. Mikre invitations to be called out and meet, which to provide the way to the benefits of the relationship, you are invited to attend. You are called out and welcomed. Drawing near through them at the appointed time through the restoring witness. Kara called out Leviticus 23.4. Now there are, uh, I think, at least six essential lessons embedded in this statement. Uh, you know, first, we're reminded that the Moed are Yahwas. Mm-hmm. Therefore, anyone who would claim that they are Jewish holidays, as both Jews and Christians do, well, they'd be wrong. Second, the Mikri are Kodesh, set apart. They are set apart from this world and thus uncommon. They are set apart unto God, bringing us closer to him. Third, the Moed, appointed meeting times, are mikre. They're invitations to be called out and meet with God. The Moed are mikre. The mikre are Moed. They are both uh, prefixed with mah. And me, the interrogatories in, uh, in Hebrew that encourage us to ponder the who, why, what, why, where, and when, even how, of something. In the case of Moed, it's Ed, the restoring witness and uh, eternal testimony. And of Mikra, it is of the invitations to be called out and meet with God. Fourth, as we mentioned so many times, because God repeats it, the Moed Mikri are Kodesh, uh, and they are they are also Asher. Asher uh, 
speaks of showing the way to the benefits of a relationship. Uh, they, Asher, lead us along the correct path to get the most enjoyment out of life. Fifth, Yahweh wanted to make certain that we would not miss the connection between Mikre and its root, Kara, so he included the verb in the instruction. And sixth, the Moed Mikre, Kodesh, are established for us to Ethem, draw near through them, Ba Moed, at the appointed time through the restoring witness. Now, so far, he hasn't even mentioned Pesach, he will next. But he's okay. certainly defined its purpose. Mm-hmm. He certainly said it in the, uh, within the context of context, time, yeah. God goes on to say, in the first HaRashon month, HaKodesh time of renewal, on the 14th day of the month, for the purpose of understanding, Bien, at twilight, is Pesach, Passover, according to Yahweh. Well, that means that uh, Passover is always on a full moon. You can look up, and if the moon's not full, well, you've uh, missed the night. It's a time when you can camp out and enjoy the evening in the maximum of illumination. Because it is the 14th day of a month where the lunar cycle is uh, 29 and a half days. Matzah also is a full moon. A month means time of renewal. Fits in perfectly with this. And so the first of Yahweh was seven Moed Mikre. It's Pesach Passover. It is the 14th day of uh, the first month of the year. Now, God explained the uh, back in uh, Shemoth names, Exodus, the timing of Abib, the first month of the year. And he says it's the, the, that month is when the barley is, has a kernel of grain that is still growing and, uh, uh, and elastic, moist, mm-hmm in the ear uh, and it's the time that the, the blue flower appears on the flax and so he's timed it such that this is the time that uh, the most prevalent of the grains uh, for bread is, is, is has grown in the stock and the kernel of the grain is uh, is be, is ripening and beginning to uh, to grow but yet not hard uh, that's the first month of the year and the month begins at the renewal of the sun's light on the moon's surface. That's why it's Kodesh, to renew. Fourteenth uh, day in, uh, in Yahweh's description begins at sundown on the thirteenth day, from our mm-hmm. perspective, and runs through sunset on the fourteenth day. Uh, by doing this, it gave Yahweh the opportunity with his soul and Yosha to consume the Pesach dinner with his disciples and still serve as the Pesach Gael, Passover lamb, on Passover. That's why he uh, has done it this way. But this is Passover, according to Yahweh. And Passover um, 
begins, he said right here, at twilight, at Ereb, at sunset, in the evening. And it can't begin at the evening of the 14th day, because then that would be beginning of the 15th day. So it has to begin at the evening of the 13th day, which is the beginning of the 14th day. And so Passover being a day starts in the evening of the 13th day of the new month. In addition, Yahweh spoke to Moshe and uh, to Aaron in the realm of Mitzrayim, the crucibles of political and religious oppression. This month, shall be your first and foremost time of renewal, Kodesh. And it shall be for you and on your behalf the first month of the year. So why do you suppose that uh, Roman Catholics celebrate Janus, January, as the uh, as New Year's Day, January 1st? When Yahweh said, no, I'm telling you, yeah, that, yeah. that uh, it's a beep that's the first month of the year. Mm-hmm. Why would they do that? Well, they don't read why, this. Why do they, Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah, which is the Babylonian New Year? They embrace uh, the Babylonian. No, no, no. This yeah. Passover is in the first month of the year, and it's when you uh, left Egypt is when the barley is just beginning to emerge in the, uh, in, the he- in the head of the grain. That's not so. a complicated question. Why? Yeah, it is. Why? Why, why do that? Why, why do you do this? What, are you stupid or what? Yeah, yeah. Are you stupid? Or what? Well, that explains why they were unable to translate this. Uh, speak to the entire witnessing community, Ida, of the children of Israel to say, on the 10th of this month, each individual shall obtain on their behalf a male lamb for their father's family a lamb for their household. Well, we just told the 14th of the month is Pesach. Tenth day of the month, the lamb comes into the home. Yes. Well, the home of Yisrael, the home of Yahweh, uh, is Jerusalem. So we should have expected Yahweh's soul as part of Yosha to come into Jerusalem from Bethlehem, by the way, that's where the mm-hmm. Passover lamb is to come, uh, four days before Passover in year 4,000 Yah. And it, when we unraveled uh, Gabrielle's prophecy to Daniel, that's exactly what happens. Four days before Pesach, Yosha mm-hmm. arrives with Yahweh's soul to fulfill Passover. 33 CE, year 4,000 Yah. Exactly as it was predicted, it was so easy to know when he was going to arrive. All written out for them. They all had a copy of it. There were lots and lots of copies of Daniel around at the time. They were prevalent even among the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran. But here it is, right in the Torah and Shemot. Roman Catholics, of course, celebrate this as Palm Sunday. It uh, actually occurred on a Monday in 33 CE, four days before Passover. But Christians are clueless as to the purpose of this day or the purpose of Yosha or even Yosha's name. 
<laughs> pretty crazy. You're going to create a religion based on a misnomer. <clears throat> and if the household is too small to endure with a lamb, then his neighbor, whose family is nearest him, should take into account in computing the quantity and number of souls with each individual according to the mouths to nourish by the lamb. You know, if family, it's just you know uh, an orphan, a widow, um, a uh, person by themselves, uh, never uh, married, um, by yourself, two people, perhaps. Oh, lamb's too much. I said, I don't want it to be a burden for you. No, share. That's just fine. And. And the reason, by the way, that Yahweh wanted the lamb to come into the home four days before Passover is he wanted the people to understand the sacrifice the Mm -hmm. lamb was making. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lamb, not a grizzly bear. It's a lamb, not a rattlesnake. It's it's a lamb, uh, yeah, not a platypus. It's lovable. It's cute. It's, uh, you know, it's adorable. uh, Adorable. uh, Accommodating. So God wanted the people to know that he was going to represent the lamb, and he is sociable and and, uh, and adorable and loving. So that is the the message. And, of course, God never wants this to be a burden, and he made it very clear that the lamb is to nourish us. God doesn't eat any part of it. The lamb should be an unblemished male, a son, a year old. He shall be for you actually taken from the most productive rams or from the most powerful goats. This is uh, Shemot uh, 12.5. We're going to do this. uh, Pick the best. This lamb represents me. The least you could do is to pick a nice one. Okay, don't, don't keep the, don't uh, the best be one cheap. for yourself. Things are going to work out no. better if you look at this as something that's really important. And he shall be for you, existing on your behalf. Wahaya la'atem. There's no other way to render that. The lamb is for you. Now, this isn't about animal sacrifice. The morons that write about, well, they want to start animal sacrifice again on the Temple Mount. It's not animal sacrifice. It's a nourishing meal. We are carnivores, omnivores, actually. We require protein to, to think effectively. And so the lamb is for us. It is a meal. And it's to be kept, cared for it, and observed so you understand it as a witness until the 14th day of this month. And the entire community of witnesses, Ada, of the children of Israel, shall take its life and make the connections required to understand Bien around the evening at sunset. God wants us to think it through. To understand the symbolism, understand what he would do on our behalf. He's already told us the story of, of uh, Abraham and, and his son, Ishak, and him of providing the lamb. And the fact that he would provide the lamb. God just wants us to think it through, to understand this message that he is conveying to us, to, 
to appreciate the connection between what happened on Mount Moriah and year 2000 Yah with, with Yahweh, Abraham, and Yishak, what happened in Mitzrayim to initiate the Yatza Exodus uh, from the crucibles of human oppression to the promised land, to the fulfillment in the promised land by Yosha through Yahweh's spirit. These are the things that God wants us to make this connection so that we understand what he has done for us and how we can capitalize on his tremendous gift. And that's what brings us back to the melancholy nature of my celebration this evening. God has made this so clear for us. He's been so generous to us. And yet his own people besmirch his fulfillment of Pesach. They won't even say Yosha's name. They will not acknowledge him as the Pesach Gael. They do not talk about the fulfillment of Pesach Matzah and Bakurim or Shabuah, but talk about it as this historic event that took place in Egypt and not of Yahweh's fulfillment of the promise. And the most popular religion in the world today corrupts the Pesach Gael's name so that it is no longer Yahweh that is saving us. They corrupt his uh, title, calling him a Messiah as opposed to the Lamb. And then they corrupt the statement that he is so proud of his son, Dode, who will be returning with him and give the title of Son of God to the Lamb, as if Yahweh sacrificed his own son. We've been through that before. That's not the message that God has conveyed to us. So, Kirk, with those thoughts, we're um, no longer broadcasting. Our message has been conveyed, this this uh, PSOC. Um, it is a, uh, it's a concise story, a simple story. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we'll share a, a couple of other thoughts in this time remaining, uh, just so that we are clear with God said. He says, you know, you should take a moment and some of the blood from the lamb and place it upon the two upright pillars of the doorway and upon the lintel, upon the homes where to receive the benefits of the relationship Pesach is a doorway. Mm-hmm. It's a doorway to God's home. It's a doorway to eternal life. This is Shemoth Exodus 12.7. And they should genuinely, add, uh, genuinely eat and be nourished by the flesh as well as by the message proclaimed during this night. Roasted over a fire and always eat it in proximity to matzah along with bitter herbs. I'm so glad we continued because this is so essential. Not only is Pesach the doorway to life. Mm-hmm. Not only are we nourished by the lamb, it's not a sacrifice to God. It's a celebratory meal. Bashar, which is uh, the flesh as well as the message, the primary meaning of Bashar is to proclaim and announce a message to be a herald. The secondary meaning is flesh. 
So the flesh of the Pesach Gael proclaims the message that God wants us to appreciate. God says roast it over a fire. Um, the fire provides light. With fire, the smoke rises, showing the direction of uh, saved souls. The most amazing part of fire, of course, is it transforms physical, energy. organic yeah. material into light and into energy. <laughs> Just as we are transformed when we become immortal and perfected, we're transformed from physical mortal beings to eternal and enlightened spiritual beings. That's why this whole concept of Christianity of bodily resurrection is the dumbest thing you could possibly imagine. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go to the weakest part of us and be human again. Right. That's why it's over fire, to convey the fact that we are physical beings being transformed into light. Then he says, and this is the essential aspect, always eat it in proximity to matzah. Never celebrate Pesach apart from matzah. Yes. And, you know, the religious Jews want to just say, well, no, we've got to get rid of the yeast. The matzah is irrelevant. It's all about getting rid of the yeast, but they don't know what the yeast represents when it, in fact, represents their damn religion. Yes, yes, exactly. The reason you always want to celebrate Pesach with matzah is Pesach is the doorway to eternal life. Matzah is the threshold where Yahweh cleans our souls of religion and politics so that we are perfected. If you become immortal and you are not matzah perfected, you're going to spend in Sheol. Yeah. The worst possible outcome. So this is the reason why God is so clear on this. Always celebrate Pesach with matzah, Passover with unyeasted bread, along with, he says, bitter herbs. Appreciation. Bitter herbs yeah. um, spice up the, you know, the olive oil, of course, is the essential part of, uh, of the, oh, yeah. the dip. And olive oil, again, mm-hmm. symbolic of light, symbolic of healing. Uh, symbolic mm-hmm. of the uh, of the spirit, symbolic of the longest lived tree, symbolic of of being crushed, so that uh, the the benefit uh, uh, emerge after being crushed, very much like grain and very much like grapes becoming mm-hmm. uh, wine, very much like our our, our character. Right? Had I not mm-hmm. been crushed uh, uh, early in my life, publicly humiliated, I don't think I would have had the character necessary to do this job. And so it is important that we appreciate that. The bitter herbs is, this was no joyride for God. This, this is, by putting his soul in Yosha, he felt every sting of that whip. Yeah. yeah. Every piercing pain of those nails through his hands and feet. They were his hands and feet. They were his thoughts, his feelings, because this was a living probe that was placed inside of Yosha, and it was the very Neshus as a probe feeling, experiencing that was sent to Sheol to suffer for us. It was bitter. And God was willing to endure that bitterness 
as a celebration of the life of his children, of the liberation of his children, the perfection of his children. But then for his children to reject his sacrifice, it's heartbreaking. Bitter herbs, leaving a pungent taste so that you would have some way to relate to what God Mm -hmm. is enduring. You should not consume any part of it raw or without due consideration or boiled, cooking it in water, but instead as a condition, roasting it above a fire, his head with his legs and his inner parts close by. The fire is the transformative aspect. Even in uh, when God describes matzah and uh, Shabuah, Teruah, uh, Kippurim, he specifically says, uh, approach and draw near the maternal nature of his fiery light. So he wants us to understand the role of the, the fire and the symbolism. Mm-hmm. of uh, this extraordinary uh, day for us. And you shall make certain that nothing remains of him until the morning. And so the remainder of it, prior to the approach of morning, you shall literally and continually burn up in the fire. See, that's the biggest rebuttal. To, that's the best rebuttal to, I always thought, to uh, no resurrection. I mean, yes. we, we, I do it every year. I'm going to do it yes. tonight after we... There was no body left. Right. Yeah, he could not no have been the Passover lamb. He could not have fulfilled the Torah. He could not have been God's solution if the body was resurrected as opposed to incinerated. Yeah, then it doesn't qualify. You have no Passover. Yes. Right. So... so. He has risen and Easter Sunday is a bunch of hogwash. Mm-hmm. Got about puke every time somebody wishes me a happy Easter. Oh, yeah. I, I... And therefore, in this manner, you should always be nourished by it. Have the tie fashioned around your waist with your sandals and with your staff in your hand, and you should eat it in anticipation. This is Passover to approach Yahweh. Wow. He wants us ready to go. This is the doorway to life. This is the threshold of perfection. It leads to being adopted into God's family on Bukurim. So that we're on our way. We're, we're making our yatsa, our departure our from exodus, yeah. the corruption of man to the promised land. Let's be ready to go. Let's be part of God's flock. Let's lead his people. Let's eat it in anticipation of of God fulfilling this promise. This is Passover to approach Yahweh. Kirk, that's probably a pretty good place to... Yes, pretty. uh, That's a great presentation. uh, I love it. I love it. I read it. 14 years, and there it is. Still, yeah. still great. So, I uh, I thank you all for uh, sharing your Pesach with us this evening. Chag matzah to uh, one and all. I hope your Pesach is as rewarding and as thoughtful as uh, ours was this evening. 
And it is okay to be a bit melancholy about this. They are bitter herbs, after all. Mm -hmm. It was a sacrifice for our benefit. God's people have a long, long way to go before they appreciate uh, what he has done for them and for us. So we thank you, Yahweh, for the greatest of all sacrifices, for the greatest gift ever offered, and for letting us uh, be part of those who would come to understand your testimony and given the opportunity to share it with your people. May Yahweh bless one and on. All uh, happy Pesach, happy Matzah, and enjoy uh, Bukhutim. We look forward to being with you this time next week. Good night. Thank you. And to you. Good night.